What's really good, everybody? This is Nathan Albach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. So, a couple quick announcements uh, before we jump in here. The podcast has been going just tremendous lately. Uh, It grows every month, and I really seriously appreciate all of you who come back to listen. Uh, I know there are literally millions of podcasts to choose from out there, and it means a lot that you take the time out of your day for this one to hear my goofy ass just (laughs) pontificating about random stuff with guests who are usually much cooler and much smarter than me. So, uh, really means a lot. Um, If you haven't already, please smash that review button uh if you listen on apple podcasts that is even if you just hit whatever star out of five stars you think the show deserves uh, it goes a long way in so far as getting it into more people's feeds and whatnot and i don't i don't know how the hell the algorithm works but i, I know it's good okay <laughs> Now, uh, for today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Eric Martin, who you may recognize as username Huey Priest from Reddit. Eric joined Reddit as a community manager in 2008, then became the general manager, overseeing the many communities and marketing and advertising and a ton more that we get into throughout the episode. And he left the company in 2014. He was also named a top 50 innovator by Adweek and one of the world's most influential people by Time Magazine, which was in large part pushed by the Reddit community itself. And I also learned that he was a documentary filmmaker, so super cool. Um, He's worked with a bunch of different companies and done a bunch of other projects that we didn't have time to get into because most of our conversation was based around Reddit specifically. Uh, We spent some time in the beginning going over how he got into the platform and what it was like in the early days of development. Then we spent the bulk of our time going over the different free speech issues that people have on Reddit specifically and the internet at large right now, where we see some legitimate issues of censorship that are a real problem than other situations where people are using free speech as like a crutch to be assholes or a a weapon for a political agenda. Then the bulk of the issues, which I think fall into this really gray area where no one's entirely sure what the best solution is, we're kind of just like wading through. So So yeah, we spent most of our time exploring this space, and toward the end, we also got into the future of internet culture and how technology at this scale divides people, and it affects different generations in different ways, and it's ultimately incredibly difficult to manage, as much as from the outside looking in, we all like simple solutions to these ongoing problems that we keep seeing on different platforms. So yeah, the conversation was a blast, and I really think these topics are super important to talk about, so I hope you enjoy it. Now let's get into what's really good. Eric, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, excited to to chat. Yeah, it should be a good time. Hopefully we'll... uh... We'll solve world peace or whatever. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's a ton I want to get into, and I'm, I know you got a lot you want to talk about as well. So, I mean, before we jump in to all the chaotic stuff we can talk about, just to kind of give people a groundwork who may be unfamiliar 
with your work or what Reddit is. So let's just start from the top. All right. So what is Reddit and how did you get involved with it? Sure. So yeah, Reddit is a um, it's sort of a community of communities. It's a it's a you know sort of like a the next evolution of sort of the old school message board. It's a a site where you can find communities that are huge, you know, millions and millions of, of people on at the same time. And you can also find really tiny, small communities, private communities. There's sort of boards or, or subreddits about, you know, every TV show, every video game, every college sports team, every iteration of any type of diet or fitness modality or uh, flavor of, you know, anarchism or political <laughs> right. tribe or you name it. It's, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of communities and it's all kind of aggregated in one place. Um, you can kind of just look at funny pictures and videos and, you know, political news while you're waiting for the bus, or you can really get in deep and talk about, I don't know, traveling and all sorts of really complicated stuff. So, yeah, just kind of the Internet all in one place. And the, uh, the sort of tagline, I don't know if it's still there, but for a long time and when I was working there, it was, you know, the front page of the Internet. Right. And, you know, we kind of, I kind of thought about it, you know, it was sort of a joke a little bit like, you know, making this claim that we're the front page, like the front page of a newspaper um, of the Internet was sort of a ridiculous thing to say when the site <laughs> was sort of getting going. Now, like, I think they'd have a credible case. Yeah, it makes a little more sense. I don't know. I, I, I kind of <laughs> always thought of it as like the front end of the Internet. Right. It's sort of your entry point into the Internet because the whole sort of goal of Reddit, especially at the beginning, was to take you elsewhere. It was, to, you know, it was links to, you know, other sites, videos, images, uh, places on the internet or communities inside Reddit. So that's kind of how I think about it. Sort of the front end or the starting point for the internet and all its, uh, and all its glory. I think that's a pretty fair, fair, uh, detailed description. So like, how did you initially get involved with the whole thing? Yeah. So I initially started checking out Reddit when it was one of the first, uh, Y Combinator startups back mm -hmm. in 2005. I was at the time I was I was uh, living in North Carolina where I'm from, and I was a aspiring documentary filmmaker. I had worked on a couple small humble documentaries and and was really interested in you know sort of tech in general and had worked at a couple startups in the first dot com wave. And I heard about I was a big fan of this book that Paul Graham, who started Y Combinator, wrote called Hackers and Painters. Just kind of about how artists and you know hackers are uh, are similar and that they're making something and they launched Y Combinator in Boston uh, and the idea was that they would give you know startups or individuals you know they'd give them basically a place to sleep and you know sort of three months of budget and kind of see what happened mm -hmm. uh, and at the time I mean now that's sort of that's pretty common and and uh, a, a pretty routine approach, but at the time that was sort of pretty new because right. the sort of first wave of startups, they were, you know, it was a lot of like MBA types uh, and you need millions of dollars to launch. Anyway, so I, I thought, oh, this might be an interesting story to cover as a documentary uh, and it's only this, you know, three month time commitment. I, so I applied to do a documentary on this first round of Y Combinator. 
uh, and they, they turned me down, which was probably smart on their part. <laughs> but I was kind of just inter- I was I was hooked in, in, in the idea. And so, you know, checked out every single startup that came out of that. And uh, Reddit was Reddit was one, and so I was uh, a user from from really early on, and just kind of I don't know, it just made sense to me. Uh, sort of, it was a fun place to check out. You know, at the beginning there was just one Reddit, there was just one sort of board uh, where people submitted just links, and you know, kind of watched it grow over the next couple of years. And then I got in touch with um, the people behind the site because I just emailed them one day and just said, hey, at that time I had moved up to New York and was still kind of involved in film and working for this sort of independent film company um, that was doing you know, distribution and production of sort of really low-budget movies and foreign films mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. said, hey, I'm a huge fan. Maybe there's some you know, advertising stuff I can do with my really tiny budgets, but mostly I'm just, if I can help with anything, let me know. And yeah, got to know Alexis, one of the co-founders, and, and Steve, the other co-founder, and just kind of got to know them over the next year or two. And, and then at one point, uh, so, so they got acquired by Connie Nast in 2008, and then not too long after that, or I'm sorry, in 2006, and then in 2008, I had left my job and was just doing freelance for uh, indie films. And was sort of uh, back back in those days to get a movie trailer onto the sites where people watch movie trailers. So Apple trailers, Movie Phone, right. uh, Yahoo Movies. This is all sort of pre-YouTube or early YouTube. Uh, you had to actually mail somebody a a tape, like a HD, you know, high definition uh, video, digital videotape, or you had to send them a hard drive, yeah. or you had to maybe send them a DVD, or maybe FTP. I think some of them had FTP, but basically you had to send someone something. And so I was paying the bills by being the guy who did that for indie films. So no way. if you had some, you know, foreign film or indie film that didn't have a, wasn't a major studio, like I got a, a box of these, these, you know, DVDs or HD whatever in the mail and then I would send them to all the places that uploaded movies and then you know email them until they got it up with the right you know name and artwork and all that right and so I was just kind of doing that freelance and um ended up talking to to reddit and they had been approached to do a pilot with the Washington DC PBS station I can't remember the call sign but anyway the the DC PBS station and uh, it would be a weekly sort of news show, current affairs, uh, and Reddit would sort of be the internet hook, um, and sort of internet gimmick. And it was, it was they were shooting a pilot over the summer, and they had a bunch of really interesting people working on it, and uh, Reddit needed somebody to sort of represent them and be their, you know, their their producer as part of the team. And I think. You know, they called me up. I think I was the only person who had anything remotely resembling sort of production experience yeah. that they knew that knew Reddit, which which wasn't probably saying much. But um, so I, I I went down to D.C. basically for a summer and worked on that. And yeah, the pilot was a disaster. <laughs> uh, it never saw the light of day. It didn't get greenlit. I think there's pieces of it still on the internet, but it had like really interesting, like Lawrence O'Donnell was one of the like correspondents. Really? Um, <laughs> a bunch of other people that have gone on to either be like, um, either people we covered or people that were involved in the production have gone on to do, you know, great stuff. I think wow. all talented wow. people, but something, I, and you know, that was, that was over 10 years ago. I, I still don't think 
uh, really figured out, you know, how do you incorporate the internet and sort of, uh, you know, social media, whatever, into television, video, news, right. show, in a way that really is additive and not just sort of decoration. Oh yeah, like remember um, when like those late night hosts would they they'd uh, field questions from Twitter years yeah. ago? It was so weird. <laughs> so like anyway, so this was like the first of many bad attempts at that, but um, that's how I started working with. Reddit, and then after that, I became a, a community manager, and this was when there was like I don't know, six or seven employees, and so did that for a few years, and then uh, uh, became general manager and sort of managed, I don't know, oversaw a, a lot of different aspects. In 2011, moved out, moved from New York to San Francisco, and then did that for a few years. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I was at Reddit for six years total, and uh, during during sort of um, a lot of the a lot of the early growth. It's so wild, man. Yeah, I was going to ask you before all this, just uh, like if you were kind of like a techie kid growing up, but it sounds like you were at this weird intersection between being tech-oriented enough where you knew about Reddit and you were into internet culture in some capacity, but you were also uh, doing documentaries. I mean, like, obviously, you don't really fit the the stereotype, I guess, when people think, you know, like techie type guys who would get into this type of industry, which is really interesting. It's not what I would have thought. Like in my mind, a lot of the people I've talked to who get into this industry, they come from gaming or programming or, you know, like those different fields that, that really uh, have like defined the early landscape of internet culture. But you came at it from like this artistic angle, which is not what I was expecting. Yeah, no, it was a little different. I mean, I'm, I'm a proud liberal arts major. Uh, I, I definitely like, you know, my, my parents were sort of entrepreneurs in a, in a technical field. They did uh, laboratory robotics, which isn't as, you know, isn't as, we're not talking about like anthropomorphic robots, but you know, sort of like right. a laboratory equipment, but, but very technical stuff. And, and they were entrepreneurs and, you know, had all kinds of, uh, you know, sort of skunk works equipment in the house. And so I, you know, I, I kind of understood that side to a point, but yeah, I was a liberal arts major. Um, I, you know, I was never in anything close to a programmer, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I got fascinated I read it and, and still, you know, uh, still am from the sort of like rabbit hole right. part where you can just, you know, uh, and when I was a kid, you know, I, I could just, I don't know, I would get excited by just picking up a random book and just like diving in and seeing like, what is this, what is this new, new thing about? Uh, and that's what was so fascinating on Reddit is you could go in. Uh, and you could see like, oh, what is this weird subgenre of music? What yeah. are they into? What's the language they use? What are they? What are they fighting about? What are they excited about? Uh, who are they? Who are they? Um, you know, who do they overlap with? You know, how is this trend going? You could just see this strange path and rabbit hole um, and subculture. And then the next day you could go check out something completely different, and it's just kind of like a way to dive in and sort of be a fly on the wall. And so that's. You know, what really excited me about about the internet and, and Reddit in the early days, and, and even now, I, I always, uh, when I was working at Reddit, and and you know, still now, I'll just hit the random button. Yes. Which is, you know, by far one of the best uh, lesser-known features of Reddit. Because hit the random button, and you wind up on like some some obscure small university, you know, university in Wales, their subreddit. Or you wind up on some, you know, strange, you know, ukulele subreddit, or right. some, you know, <laughs> hard science. You know, you wind up on some, or some, you know, programming language I've never heard of. 
and you can just kind of see what that community is about. And, and I don't know, there's, there's no place else where you can really get that. So if you get that hit of rabbit hole so efficiently. Yeah, and it's so wild, too, how a lot of those subs, they start as these, like, niche kind of communities with just a couple hundred members, and then all it takes is one cross post or one feature into some major sub, and they blow up. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of the one that comes to mind, the uh, bread stapled, pictures of bread stapled to trees, I think is what I'm thinking of, where it's just yeah. like this, it's so obscure and random, <laughs> and then now it has, like, I'm pretty sure it has, like, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, which is so weird to think that that became like a destination for internet users <laughs> yeah it was, I, I had i kind of experienced that happen with a subreddit I, I actually you know created i think before i even started working at reddit i had a i know a, a long time ago i, I tore my acl mm. in my knee playing soccer had a bunch of knee surgeries and yeah still still a, 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 an rough, annoying man. problem but uh I, so i created a subreddit called ACL for other people who had similar knee problems, you know, back in, I don't know, yeah, 2007 or something. And uh, I kind of forgot about it because it it didn't get any traffic. And occasionally someone would come in and they'd get really upset. It wasn't for Austin, Austin city limits or Austin city lights, whatever that big uh, music festival is. And then one day, like all of a sudden, I, I, you know, I don't know, I got a message in mod mail or something and I went and there's all these people and they're sharing stories about their surgeries and they're asking for advice and they've got flair for what type of graft from what tendon they had. Wow. And like it, it came, it kind of became this community. It just took, you know, 10 years, uh, <laughs> slowly over time. And people were talking about all sorts of stuff, language and, and techniques that I, I, you know, wasn't even familiar with. And then I actually, um, you know, I, basically, I, I found out that a, a screw that had been put in my knee uh, had started to come out. Wow. And I, I went on the subreddit, and I described what was happening, and uh, someone replied and said, like, oh, my God, I had the same thing. And they started sharing pictures, and it basically helped me. And I took it and showed it to my doctor, and, like, it helped, you know, the only point of data, but it, like, sort of helped my doctor and I sort of figure out what, had, what was going on with my knee. Yeah, that's um, so crazy. And it was so cool, too, that there was a subreddit that I created and then totally forgot about it for, like, a decade. But just slowly over time, you know, kind of piece by piece, other people, you know, and I, I uh, had, had sort of added a brick here and a brick to there to the community. And now it became, like, a place where, like, actually, if you know someone who has an ACL problem, like, I would recommend they go there and poke around and ask questions because uh, it's a pretty, pretty cool little tiny niche community. So That's so cool, man. So, like, when, when you first came on board, was Reddit, like, like yeah. a well-oiled machine at that point? Or when you came on, did you have to start to develop a lot of the internal like management processes along the way? Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I, I, I don't think Reddit has ever been a well-oiled machine. <laughs> Just kind of fumbling in, in, along. Except, yeah, I mean, it, it, except that, like, it's... I mean, well-oiled isn't the right metaphor, but it's always so many, so many users doing... Uh, being creative and doing, you know, putting in, you know, hours and, and energy into this very simple but very flexible platform that has sort of figured out any of the any of the um, in, in, any any of the problems or help it grow, and so you know that's kind of the way it was like early on and even even later. So like, yeah, we we definitely um, you know started to put in you know systems for like. 
you know, helping helping users grow subreddits they created, all those sort of small and medium-sized ones, put in systems that, you know, deal with, you know, spam was a really big problem early on mm. that, you know, really took, a, was hard to sort out, especially because at that time, a lot of the similar type sites, you know, Dig, uh, Propeller, there were some other ones that were very similar. People were encouraged to post and sort of, you know, get votes for their own content. Yeah. And Reddit was, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Reddit just had a different sort of policy and approach. And so it was really hard. You know, there were also people who were, who were knowingly spamming to, uh, you know, promote their own stuff or to promote client stuff or just to, I don't know, just to troll and, and cause mayhem. But there are a lot of people who just didn't know that, that wasn't the way Reddit worked because we were, you know, of course, had to be different than every other site sort of in that sphere at the time. And so there was a lot of just like, how do we educate users? How do we help moderators educate their users? Um, also, those early days were when the moderators of all the different subreddits started to create their own system of rules, mm -hmm. you know, that were unique to their subreddits. Uh, and so helping them do that. I, I, but, yeah, I don't think that process was ever smooth or, or well-oiled. Right. Um, I, I, I think it's just from an outsider. It seems to have gotten a lot better recently. But, uh, you know, we were always, like, really struggling just to keep the site online and, you know, deal with stuff like all these new, you know, countries and languages coming on to deal with, you know, stuff we had to do on the ad side to deal with any of the sort of problems we had. I mean, it was it was always sort of constant chaos and, you know, trying to keep our head above water. Right. And like Reddit as a whole is kind of it's built by the users for the users type of thing. Like it's a very user based community more so than probably any other functioning social media platform, at least at that level. It's like, do, would you consider yeah. that to be like the, the primary thing that's made it so successful or like what else, what else do you think like kind of made it stand out above the competitors in those early days? Oh yeah. I think, I mean, to, to any extent Reddit is successful, it's, it's not only because of what users did, but often uh, in spite of what we, the people running it, <laughs> I love know, that. did or tried to do. <laughs> um, you know, with a few exceptions, but like all of the sort of feature innovations and even the sort of rhetorical format, content format innovations, you know, came from the users. So, you know, originally Reddit was, you just posted links to other sites and it was a, a link aggregator. And then people started to post links to a paste bin or some other text repository site mm -hmm. in, a, in, you know, in an attempt to make a self, what's now called a self-post. So if you wanted to write a story or share a rant or share a recipe, there was no mechanism on Reddit to do that. So users sort of created a way and they would go so far as to, as to they would have to guess the next, not guess, but sort of anticipate the next actual URL that would be generated by a post so mm -hmm. that they could link the text back to the Reddit submission. So there's really complicated, you know, high friction, yeah. you know, hack to, to make a text post. And then, you know, after, after some time, you know, Reddit was smart enough to say like, okay, well, let's make that a feature since people are trying to do it. Um, same thing with images and videos, same thing with a lot of the, all the different, you know, Reddit, subreddit customization and moderator tools. So, you know, all of these things came from the users. Um, you know, there's a few things I, I think we could rightfully take credit for as far as growing the site. Um, you know, we worked really hard to promote and sort of uh, popularize the 
ask me anything um, type type posts and uh, those subreddits and and you know we worked hard to promote different subreddits at different times and sort of events and meetups and all those sort of things but you know the vast majority of, of sort of growth and and energy came from the users and uh, yeah I mean we uh, Steve Huffman one of the one of the co-founders had this saying that like any you know basically make the users do the hard part mm. and so we kind of always thought about anything through that like you know whether it was you know dealing with dealing with spam or figuring out what what subreddits should you know be shown in certain in certain instances or or you know how do we deal with uh you know this. This. Uh, you know how do we deal with there being two, you know, LA Dodgers subreddits? Like right. it was always kind of like give the give the power back to the users to figure out what they want because you know who are we to decide that sort of stuff? So I think you know most of the most of the you know improvements and sort of new ideas from Reddit came from that. Yeah, so like you mentioned uh, Dig a little while back as kind of yeah. one of the the competitors in those early days, and I just it just like rung a bell in my mind. Someone texted or tweeted at me last night when I was fielding some questions to think about asking you, and they wanted me to bring up uh, the the great Dig migration that has become kind of like notorious in the Reddit community and yeah. labeled as as like an instance where like you know Dig went through their website redesign and then a lot of the user base kind of rejected it and moved to Reddit, but from what I've read and understood over those years was that it wasn't as big as some people thought. Like, as far as my understanding was that Reddit was already kind of taking over that space and growing at, like, a good rate, and then you had, like, an influx of users come in, but it wasn't, like, it didn't, like, completely change the game. Like, Reddit was kind of already on its way up at that point, but I don't know. Like, I'm interested to know from your perspective, like, what the influx was like after that, kind of set the record straight there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think in general, that's that's your your understanding is 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 the same as mine. Um, and you know, and this is all, all you know, all the traffic stats are, are public. I mean, Reddit, you know, while while I was there, and I think even before, um, it basically doubled every year mm-hmm. in terms of traffic, pretty steadily. Which you know, compared to some other sort of social media type sites, is 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 you know, slow growth, it's still pretty fast. And, and it's, but it's sort of steadily, you know, month after month, uh, year after year, just kept doubling. So there wasn't, a, you know, if you look at sort of the, the traffic growth as a, as a, as a number, like, yeah, there wasn't some huge, you know, monumental change from, from when uh, Dig did their, their redesign and everything. Uh, There's definitely, you know, a spike and, and it definitely was sort of a, I don't know, a cultural moment. I was going to say a cultural moment, people, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a, a lot of people had been, you know, the audiences overlapped quite a bit for a long time. So I, I, I think, you know, overall it definitely helped us, but I think there was, you know, overlap for a long time, and it wasn't as it wasn't as dramatic in terms of, you know, the traffic we saw on our end. Mm. Um, you know, I've read stuff since about describing what happened, and I, I just, I don't know, the, the whole situation was so weird because... What they did, which sort of made sense on paper, was they they basically were trying to become like a a feed reader, sort of like an RSS yeah. feed reader, which was a popular thing at the time, sort of, but in a in a more sort of user friendly way. And so they actually they treated Reddit like a publisher, 
And so they were pulling in content from Reddit in an automated way. Um, and they were also pulling in content from Huffington Post and all these other sites using their RSS feed, which was really like, it just, I don't know, it, stuff was broken. So you got these weird like headlines and weird like URL structure in the text. And like, I don't know, the whole thing was so strange that, that <laughs> and, and, you know, then users sort of like compounded that by, you know, submitting and voting up Reddit stuff and I don't know, all kinds of other things. But, you know, it was being talked about like, Reddit and Dig were, you know, sort of uh, rivals or competitors, but the way they did that rollout, they, you know, very deliberately sort of decided, okay, we want to, like, sort of be, yeah, they had to be the front end for all of the internet, including Reddit. So, like, they set it up so that Reddit was, like, a featured publisher, so all of our content about the things that they were doing that people were pissed off about got pushed to Dig, not just because users were, you know, sort of, I don't know, revolting or, or, or doing it, I don't know, in protest or irony or, or for the lulls or whatever. It, it was like by design of this system they created. And it was so strange. But I, I don't know. It was, but yeah, definitely, definitely, a, definitely a cultural moment yeah. for sure. It's all become legend now. So know, <laughs> it is what it is. But I kind of, okay, at this point, I want to jump into some of the deeper waters here. And I feel like this is where we could spend yeah. a good bulk of the time because I think for Something most people wonder about when it comes to Reddit and sites like it is what the internal structure looks like when it comes to content moderation at all levels. So, like, Twitter's been in hot water over this in recent years just with, you know, as everything kind of gets more politicized and you've got the whole, like, oh, like, Twitter is verifying Nazis and you have the, you've had a ton of incidents where, you know, it's like, from the outside looking in, people are looking at these sites like, okay, what could we, what should we allow? What shouldn't we allow? So from your perspective, like how did or does the company decide what content would be appropriate for a given sub? Uh, well, one, I'm really glad figuring that out is not my job anymore. Uh, <laughs> I bet. I can't imagine uh, the harassment you went through. <laughs> to do that. No, and it's hard. I mean, so uh, a few things. One, like the, Back to this whole idea of like let the users decide or make the users do the hard part, you know, I think the whole, again, for, 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 for good or bad, like the whole idea of Reddit and similar sites was that you would, that it would be, you know, democratized mm-hmm. or, or whatever, whatever flavor of that. But that the sort of, and, and at the time, you know, in the sort of early social media days, that was in contrast to you know, to, to whatever, newspaper editors and other editors deciding what made the front page. So this right. idea of, okay, the users will decide it. And obviously that breaks down in all sorts of uh, uh, complicated and, and horrible ways. But the site was was created by, by the, you know, by the founders and also the early users with this idea of, you know, individuals shouldn't be making those type of decisions about what is, belongs on the front page or not. And... You know, I think that, like, earliest Reddit T-shirts had, uh, they said, freedom from the press on it. And and this idea of, like, oh, okay, that, that you know, well, let's let people decide rather than the, rather than the you know, editors and, and, you know, companies and stuff. So, like, I, I, and, and I think what makes that difficult later on is that, you know, you just have this, you know, these type of sites, um, I imagine, I don't know the inner workings of other ones, but for Reddit, you have these type of sites run by people who 
didn't want to be making those decisions. Right. Uh, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. Not, you know, no one was working at these sites who wanted to be making those sort of editorial judgments about we're going to allow this thing, but not this thing because of this reason. And so there was just a lot of. Um, there was a lot of, you know, inertia, a lot of like avoidance of tough decisions, and we were always looking. And I imagine these companies are still looking for some sort of framework that you can, some sort of existing framework you can use to make your decisions simpler or easier, because you have to do it at such a ridiculous scale. Yeah, like like and everybody wants even, a code of ethics, but it's also relative. Yeah. Right, it's also relative, and so I think, in 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 you know, th- there's a lot of things that that Reddit as a whole, and even you know myself at my time there, like decisions, individual decisions, that you know I would make differently now and got wrong and all those sorts of things. But I think in in a large part, a lot of individual subreddits did the you know even ones with a, a large amount of traffic, those moderators and those communities, you know, both small and large did the best job out of anything similar online um, because, you know, if they had a community around, around whatever, a television show, a band, uh, you know, some, some uh, discipline of science or even, even, you know, some pretty, some pretty feisty political subjects, they decided, you know, the moderators decided what the rules were and laid it, laid it out in very sort of like, you know, editorial terms and, you know, revised those as time went on. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of really big subreddits that are really well moderated and run well. So I think, like, we did a good job on that part of allowing the subreddits, um, big and small, allowing, you know, the ones with really passionate, with moderators who are really passionate about the, their subject matter and also passionate about making those type of decisions and creating a good space for whatever topic and community they were into. Mm. Um, we did a good job of helping them. But then with the rest, you know, it was, it was very hands-off and, in, you know, too hands-off uh, in, in sort of figuring out what the rules were. But, you know, we were always sort of looking for what's the, what's the sort of smallest number of rules that will cover the most amount of things in the clearest terms. Right. And so, you know, early on, uh, you know, we looked, we, we looked to the law, right, as much as we could and said, hey, well, let's just go by legal standards because that's pretty clear and, you know, it's sort of, there's people who are experts in, in the legality um, and sort of that takes the, you know, there's still some, some gray area decisions, but it sort of takes the responsibility of creating the framework out of our hands, which I think was not the right, the right thing to do, but that's sort of where our heads were at at the time. And I also think, I don't know, I keep thinking back about, I was at this, I don't know, on some panel at, at this conference for the American Bar Association, mm-hmm. really exciting conference, okay. uh, conference full of lawyers. <laughs> but this lawyer that I got to know, this like you know uh, amazing lawyer who who I don't know, just got to know. Like we were walking in the hallway, like we stopped and had this conversation, and he was talking about how he, he thought the whole way we look at sort of content on social media was was wrong. In I mean not wrong, but we were taking the wrong angle on it because it uh, it got talked about both by users and companies and you know uh, journalists and and lawmakers as as a as a free speech type decision mm-hmm. and a first amendment type decision even though you know we all know that's not 
you know, we're not actually talking it's about the First literally. Amendment because of yeah. the, not literally, but but with that framework. And he's like, you know, I think I think the right, a better framework would actually be, you know, the, uh, it's actually a, a freedom to assemble issue. That the the problem isn't, uh, you know, the main problem isn't the actual content. It isn't the actual speech. The problem is, you know, sort of letting, you know, groups of people, you know, sort of organize and have a platform. And that, that's the more sort of dangerous, that's the more, uh, th that's the issue that has a more impact in the real world. Um, and, and that content, you know, as difficult as that is to moderate and figure out, you know, the, 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 there's an increasing amount of, of technical, you know, uh, technical tools of, you know, ways you can deal with that. Uh, Again, it's still really hard, but the, the, the more fundamental issue for you know companies and platforms and just sort of society to figure out is is the who gets to you know organize their group and grow their group and have their space on the platform. Um, that that's really the you know that's the most important question to figure out. And and so I I you know that's something I think about a lot. Like, what might we have done differently if sort of everyone had that framework rather than mm -hmm. this sort of First Amendment free speech type framework? Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, a hindsight 2020 thing because you're, sure. you're constantly I mean, trailing behind, like, observing user behavior and then observing the culture because, like you said, it's interesting how at that point in time, Reddit was looked at as sort of like a middle finger to the press and to the media and yeah. all this, like, the whole idea, I remember, like, in those early, mid-2000s when, like, when YouTube was first getting popular and you'd see a lot of the, like, ma people would do these, like, mashup videos. It was just, like, anti-corporate, anti-mainstream media, and there was, like, a online sense. Like, the people who were <laughs> deep online at that time period, a lot of them had that sentiment, and I think yeah. a lot of it, too, had to do with the fact that I've talked, um, I talked about this recently on a podcast with the, the creator of Something Awful, Rich Kayanka. He was talking oh, yeah. about how, like, the, the barrier to entry of the internet, there was still, it was still somewhat there in, like, those years. Yep. And then at some point around, like, 2009, 2010, 2011, like, depending on where you were, that barrier just disappeared. And then everyone had yep. smartphones and everyone was connected to the internet at all times. And as that happened and there was just millions and millions more users pouring in, like obviously our societal attitudes towards what was being published changed. Like I remember it being in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade and watching certain content on YouTube or just like Googling certain content and like what I thought was funny if i tried to like look at some of that stuff now i'd be like oh wow that's racist or that's sexist or you know what i mean like like there's certain stuff that was published in those early years like before there was really this cultural pool on internet content that was just edgy and it was a bunch of people pushing the boundaries and kind of discovering what we can do with this space and then as the whole thing became mainstreamed essentially like you got the the sticky fingers of the people like in you know like corporate media and the, like all these establishment uh, press pieces where like they're writing they're now reporting on places like Reddit and they're kind of yeah. like inserting their you know their cordial status quo type biases onto what people are producing and then it becomes this back and forth culture war between your like extremely online bunches who are holding on tightly to 
their quote-unquote freedom of speech, you know, like their ability to kind of say or do whatever they want online, and then also having to adjust to just polite society where we know we can say certain things, but if we want to be part of polite society, we just don't say or do them. So it became this, like, really weird situation because you're, the way you're talking about it now, it's like, yeah, hindsight 2020, there's a bunch of stuff I'm sure you would have, could have done, but... At that time, it's like when you're trying to build an authentic, organic community that that's led by the users. Like, how are you supposed to get ahead of that ball when you're essentially trailing behind, trying to observe and learn along the way? You know? Yeah, totally. And and just the scale and the speed, just so fast. You know, it you know again is doubling every year. So it, it it just gets so fast and just you know you, now you're you know especially when you start getting into you start getting into countries beyond those you sort of understand because <laughs> you lived there <laughs> right, and grew right. up there. And even then, like, you may not totally understand very well. But, like, you're dealing with, you know, places and parts of the world where, you know, no one working there uh, has any idea. And so you're, you're, you know, you're doing the best you can and you're hearing stuff through moderators that you're not sure exactly, you know, what perspective or agenda they're coming from or mm-hmm. who the hell knows. Uh, it, it, the scale just gets un unworkable um yeah like how do you even think to like where do you even start with something like that like i know you kind of hinted that there's there's programs you can obviously implement with these companies to kind of moderate the the vast amount of users and subs that are growing but just like i always think about this in terms of twitter just when you think there's hundreds of millions of users and all these reports being flooded in on a daily on an hourly basis of like harassment and doxing and just crazy you know, just inappropriate, abusive behavior. And it's like Twitter is kind of, again, they've been like the the primary media target the past couple of years because they haven't really come public with many statements that are uh, comforting to their user base, I guess you'd say, as to like what they're trying to do to fix it. But like from like Reddit's perspective, I mean, like how how do you even begin to moderate the moderators when it comes to these millions of subs that are just growing every day? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think again, any any areas where you know we're able to be effective, it, it was because of the moderators, and and like strangely, given the context of Twitter these days, and and you know, we made some decisions that actually, you know, again, ceded control and responsibility to some of these yeah volunteer moderators. Um, in a way that actually helped them, you know, moderate effectively. So one example, mm-hmm. uh, again, that's interesting in the in the Twitter context is is bots, right? Yeah. So early on, and again, Reddit open source, you know, a lot of sort of programmers and, and people with the, with the knowledge to create their own, you know, to to to, to work with open source to create their own bots uh, were on Reddit. And early on, you know, we had to. I remember making, you know, we had to make this decision of like, do we allow bots on Reddit or not? And there are a lot of reasons of, of, you know, obvious reasons why we shouldn't allow them to the extent one can prevent them, um, you know, to prevent spam and harassment and all these things, all these sort of automated sort of malicious behavior. Uh, but we decided not to just outright ban them. You know, we try to monitor and prevent the bad actors, but to allow our moderators and our sort of community of, you know, programmers who were trying to improve the site and their community and just make their lives easier as moderators 
you know, allowed them the ability to make their own bots. And so a lot of, there were a lot of moderation bots, um, a lot of anti-spam bots, a lot of bots that uh, helped moderators, you know, do a good job of, of sort of, you know, policing or, or, or cleaning up their subreddits or prevent, you know, malicious, uh, you know, people looking to do malicious things to a subreddit. Um, and a lot of these tools were created by users. And this was especially at a time when, you know, Reddit, the company and, and the people working there didn't have as many resources as we would have liked. So, mm -hmm. you know, there were a few, you know, sort of programmers and de dedicated, you know, volunteer moderators who actually used bots to, to, you know, I think improve, improve the site, which is, you know, really strange to think yeah, about. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of decisions like that where, you know, allowing users to edit the CSS, you know, control the look and feel of subreddits was another area where, you know, I think where, you know, we made the decision to keep it, to keep it as open and give users as much control as possible, which overall I think, you know, made a lot of those subreddits better, but, but, you know, also means people who are, who are, you know, looking to do something, something malicious or, or people creating subreddits we, you know, didn't want on the site also had a lot more control. So I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of tough decisions like that. Um, it's just interesting, interesting to see how they played out. Cause at the time, you know, we couldn't predict like, Oh, this decision to allow bots or not allow bots and exactly the criteria, right. you know, what are the ramifications five years down the road? Like, you know, that's un, un, <laughs> yeah. I, uncomprehendable. So, you know, I think, um, that was one that, you know, on paper, it seemed like, uh, the smart thing would have been to just not allow any bots, but I actually think that would have that would have really made things worse in that this particular strain of the multiverse that we're in. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when you look at like some of just the online communities on Reddit today versus maybe like the past eight, ten years or so, like it's yeah. to me, it's crazy how divided it's become. Just because a lot of the users feel like the site is overly moderated. And then, like, a lot of those users then have, like, moved to 4chan or 8chan or, or Gab or wherever they are now. But then a lot of the other users feel like it's under-moderated. Like, I know there's users all over Reddit that complain about subs that are inappropriate or demeaning to people or even ones like, uh, yeah. like, like the Donald. Like, people think the Donald should be shut down due to abusive behavior and all that. So, like, in terms of just general moderation when it comes to the like just the the site as a whole like what's your current view on the direction it's gone i don't i mean yeah i, I think it's probably still under moderated in in like broad terms i i think they're also you know it, you know if you if users and and the and the admins and moderators had sort of you know the, the more sort of granular control the more tools to be Sort of creative and, and and flexible within the framework of of Reddit as a whole, they have. Then I think the, the better they can deal with, you know, any sort of issues or or you know new problems that arise when when um, you know some of these un, unforeseeable you know types of communities or types of groups uh, organized on the site. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, more control in the hands of, of the administrators and the, you know, the volunteer moderators is better. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, then, then, yeah, these are all, you know, these are all volunteers. These are all sort of unknown and, and uh, unknown people doing a, a sort of thankless job. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, I hear users complain about things moderators did uh, 
all the time, and, and some of them, you know, have a, have a good, valid complaint. But um, in general, I guess my answer would be I would like the, you know, moderators as a whole to have more control. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I th- but I think in general, the site's gotten, you know, overall, the site's gotten much better in the last few years. Yeah, I'm asking you impossible questions, Eric. <laughs> no. <it's, laughs> there's like, I mean... Those, ser- those are the best kind. Seriously, I mean, this just in the past several years, I feel like these types of questions have become so hot just with rising figures in the media, like, start, I mean, starting, like, kind of snowballing, I guess you could say, with Trump, but also just with general, like, provocateurs and conspiracy theorists, and we've seen this debate going back and forth like a ping pong ball over the past, like since 2014 or whatever it is, where like a lot of these certain figures and certain publications and certain websites, like they become a center for this free speech debate. And I don't think anyone really has the answer. Like I've talked to a ton of people on this and some people kind of veer one way and some people veer the other way. But I know I mean, like, on Reddit specifically, there's just hardcore free speech absolutists. And, like, I know yep. a lot of them, like, they they think there should be no censorship and no moderation and that people right. should just be posting whatever they want, like, Nazis, pedophiles, sociopaths, whatever. And I think for a lot of those people, I mean, people in general just forget that Reddit's not just a community, but it's it's a business. And, like, there's certain societal standards to uphold like i remember uh some of the big ones like in 2012 when um uh cnn covered that whole fiasco with the user uh violent acres who was like that huge mod with subs like jailbait and uh and all those ones and then reddit had the whole issue with the the quote-unquote the fapping in in 2014 when like all those celebrity nude photos are being spread around and like when stuff like that happens and it's so big and it's like right smack dab in the middle of the public eye. I mean, it changes, it changes the image of the company and it forces the people in the company to make actions. And like, obviously it's one of those things that's like playing armchair quarterback. Like if you're a user on Reddit, it's really easy to sit back in your chair and be like, Oh, like I would have done it this way, or I could have done it this way. But like when you're in the moment like that and you've got so much heat on your back, it gets really, I can't imagine how difficult it is to, not just draw a line in the sand because you do have to draw a line somewhere, but to kind of work through the ethical tension of knowing that, okay, this is a site that has been built on, like you said, not, not literal free speech, but like as a principle, the idea that people can post and say and do what they want. Like that's what's made the site grow and the user base is and it's gathered and, and grown in massive numbers because of it. But at the same time, like we've been kind of hinting at, like over the past, especially the past decade, when since the internet's become open access to millions and millions and millions of people, the whole landscape has changed so dramatically. So like companies like Reddit or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or whatever, they have to, in the moment, figure out how they're going to respond to these issues that are in no way, shape, or form as black and white as people want to paint them as, as much as we want to be like, yeah, like you should definitely ban this group or you should definitely not be moderating anybody. Like when it comes to actual feet on the ground, figuring this out for the company and just the betterment of the community, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. So, I mean, like, how do you, in your perspective, like given all that, I mean, I know it was a lot, 
big rant, <laughs> but uh, like how like in your mind, I guess, like how do you think social media companies like Reddit should draw that line? And like, how do you, how do you think to manage that sort of vile content that inevitably is going to make its way through? I mean, yeah, two things. One, one, like basically one, if it gets to the point where you're having to make a decision about some specific content or action, like it's all too late then like the, the right. you know, it, it it's it's too late. The, the the mistakes were made, you know, three four steps back in the past, right? That, um, and so, you know, not that you can completely avoid that. You know, having to make sort of in the moment decisions about like, oh, has this gone too far? Is this one thing or a group of things over the line or this repeated behavior over the line? But it's almost like you want to do as much as you can to you know prevent things from ever getting to that point. Mm-hmm. So by not allowing. You know, certain groups are setting up tools and countermeasures and mechanisms and, you know, all those kind of things to, to prevent that. And and I think related is, you know, just this idea of scale. Like, you know, uh, you know maybe, maybe Twitter's a, a more simple example, but, you know, some one, one person with, you know, one account and no one following them or five people following them saying, saying something is uh, is one thing. But, you know, when it's when those, uh, you know, individuals are, you know, aggregated, um, you know, when there's a bunch of individuals saying something or when, you know, uh, you know, one tweet or groups of tweets are then amplified, like now it's reaching, you know, there's a big difference between reaching, you know, 500 people or 500,000 people. And on the platform level, like there's not really, you know, both both with Reddit and Twitter and, you know, there's not really... easy ways to intervene in terms of scale. Like to say, okay, like, you know, something, it's one thing if 500 people see it, but, you know, we have to have some mechanism in place where we don't let 500,000 people see right, it. Right, right. Um, because it's happened so fast. I mean, we almost joked like, you know, like I, you know, if you think about like the stock market, um, and I'm talking way out of my depth here, but, you know, my general understanding is, you know, sometimes there's these like, glitches in the trading software or there's some world event and the stock market will shut down. Mm-hmm. Like they'll stop, they'll turn off the stock market um, <laughs> for, you know, a period of time or, or, you know, this happens with an individual stock. If there's like just crazy swings one way or the other, they'll just stop. Cause like something is broken beyond like the normal operations of the market. Or, you know, if there's a, some horrible event in the world, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll close the stock market for, for days. And I, I almost think like, you know, we sort of jokingly talk about like, oh, there should be something like that for Reddit or for the internet where yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, the scale, you know, who knows? All of a sudden, you know, there's there's such wild swings or, or despite our best efforts or, or despite our, you know, not even best efforts, like something got out of control and like, you know, we need to like stop it, turn it yeah. off for a minute, figure out what to do and then turn it back on later. Like I... I, I think there's got to be something, you know, maybe not turning it off and, and taking it there too, but there's got to be some mechanisms where it's like, okay, this thing, and you know, to build those mechanisms, you've got to you've got to think about instances and 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 behaviors that you know haven't happened yet. You've got to you've got to be thinking about you know things that could happen in the future. You know, uh, there's got to be mechanisms that limit the scale until you can you can fix something because you know that's where I think you know, real world, you know, harm can happen. And, and for different things, you know, it, 
uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of a lot of scale or volume if, if an individual is being attacked or, you know, something, uh, you know, someone in, in real life is, you know, tr- trying to cause harm to them. Like, it, you know, we're not even talking about a large scale, but in, in, in general, you know, a lot of these problems these platforms are having, I think it's a it's a scale issue. And we just as as, you know, as platforms and and as users and as individuals, like there's just not a lot of good mechanisms to say like, okay, like we've got to stop this. And and the other thing I think about sometimes, and again, as with the stock market, I I barely know what I'm talking about here is, you know, I think there needs to be more, you know, sort of communication or coordination Mm. uh, between platforms. So, you know, with, with email, if I just start spamming from, if I just start, you know, sending out a bunch of spam from uh, to people with Gmail addresses, it's not going to take very long before, like, I'm on all of the spam blacklists. Right. That's my understanding of how it works, which is probably uh, <laughs> pretty pretty uh, unsophisticated. But like, th- th- there are sort of various groups, you know, and and clearing houses where information is shared about, you know, really bad spam activity. And places where these different email services turn to, you know, help prevent spam on their particular, you know, email platform. There, there, you know, and and I'm sure there might be some some of that going on between the large social media platforms. But I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, with Reddit stuff that would be happening would it wouldn't just be limited to Reddit. It would be like posts on Reddit, they would go to something on Twitter that would lead back to Reddit, they would go to another site, there would be a YouTube video and yeah. like, and and it's like, you can't just say, oh well, yeah we, you know, our platform had a part in it, but the really bad stuff was happening to this other platform or whatever, or it's like too complicated because we don't know who those users are because they're on another site, like I, I just don't think that's good enough, like you you know, you've got to be able to, and I know this gets really complicated, but but you've got to be able to share some sort of information mm-hmm. or something um, in a way that helps, you know, sort of helps people, you know, going going over state lines in a sense, like that, that helps, you know, moderate things, you know, that, that that are happening in in various disparate places across the internet, and you know, I, I don't think like uh, I, I I don't know, I, I just think uh, there are. Uh, you know, there are models out there that could help, you know, like the the clearing houses for spam. Uh, there are things like that um, that would at least give people a little more information and say, hey, I found, you know, someone is, is causing harm on this particular corner of the Internet. And, uh, you know, that sharing that information with, with others that may be able to, you know, keep an eye out or, or act on that um, in a, in a you know, organized and verifiable way and all that good stuff. Yeah, I think something like that on a micro level would be really helpful because I think that is, that's the biggest thing. I mean, those are the cracks in the system. I think it's easy to look at the the macro level and see all the, you know, the the front page problems, the problems that everyone, it's, it's trending right now and everybody's talking about it. But I definitely agree that it's more those individual cases that are the biggest problem because it's like a user on any social media platform has such little access to a real human being when they're trying to solve whatever problem that they have. And it gives you this feeling of helplessness that just then perpetuates that 
they, like I, that that kind of like expands out. So like you feel helpless, and then you talk to your friends about it, and you find out they've tried the same thing, and they feel helpless. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it feels like everyone is just kind of a pawn in the system. And of course, you know, for like, for the deep internet users who are just tech oriented and they've been online for decades like this isn't as much of a bother to them in a lot of cases because they have like a i guess you could say like an easier on off switch like they're they're usually harder to offend and harder to hurt in a lot of cases because they're so embedded into the culture itself and it just kind of becomes part of their identity but like for your average user who's just some schmuck going to work every day and checking their facebook or their instagram a couple times and they're getting harassed or they don't they don't know exactly how to navigate the platform or maybe it's someone who just uh, has a Reddit account but only surfs it like once every couple of nights and then they get caught in this cycle and they don't really have any people to talk to or any tools to help work them through it. Like I think those are the the vast majority of like like the yeah. quote, the quote unquote the normies, like the, the people that are just kinda yeah. living their lives and like they surf the internet and they're the ones feeling the most helpless. And I think yeah, like that. That's a really helpful uh, perspective to add to this. Like, since there already are these mechanisms, like they exist. So, it would be helpful if more of these platforms would implement them in ways that people could get access to them. Because I mean, like all of this, like when when you blow this up on a macro level, like there's obviously we're talking about scale here being the number one issue, which I totally agree with and and concede. But I mean, there's also something to be said about how people in general. Just human beings love to watch like a flaming train wreck, you know? It's yeah. like like this whole concept of Donald Trump getting elected. It wasn't just Trump appealing to his base. You know, a large part of it was the reactionary movement around Trump and the kind of like the kind of uh outrage he was able to create and dictate in the media, which is something that a lot of people have followed that model and and a lot of predecessors but before him sure. have done it. Like uh, Alex Jones has been doing this for decades. At this, well, I shouldn't say decades. He's he's in most recent years he's become more and more of a outrage provocateur type. And you know you have like Milo Yiannopoulos doing this, and it becomes this weird scenario where you have the people that support these guys and the people that hate them or want to deplatform them or whatever. And it's this situation where they know how to press the right buttons to get the media to keep talking about them. So then people keep talking about them and people keep clicking on the articles and it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like Trump tweets and we just, no one can help themselves but to react to it. Like we have to, people are jumping on every tweet and tweeting at him, every publication is writing articles about his tweets and it just becomes this thing where I think uh, like a free speech absolutist would argue in this scenario, like, okay, if you're arguing that this is bad speech, you want to counter it with better speech or or whatever, good speech. And I think the problem with that is that these specific people at this point, I don't just mean right wing provocateurs, I mean, people all across the spectrum at this point are doing this. And it's just it's people that have learned to game the system because we know it's a reactionary system we live in and that. Just like you or I 10, 15 years ago might have enjoyed, you know, certain crazy content on the Internet. It's like people in general, whether they love it or they hate it, it's like you can't look away. 
And like now that that's on a mass scale and we're seeing this stuff every day, we're all inundated by it. It becomes this situation where I think we're, it's almost like we've broken our cultural brain and like we can't. We, we like you, you joked about how like it'd be fun to like reset Reddit or just like turn it off or turn the internet off for a day. Like it almost yeah. feels like we need like a like a cultural <laughs> brain reset because like we're all so caught in this twenty four seven outrage cycle and it's literally like a, a lot of it partially thanks to you know Twitter never sleeping being like the place where everyone can kind of culminate their news and and what's happening on an hourly basis. You see the the hot trending things and it's always something to be pissed over and like obviously from a from a cultural level like I don't want to pontificate too much here I mean obviously there's stuff that needs you know it it deserves our attention it deserves people getting outraged over it deserves um you know people focusing their energy on to solve these problems but unfortunately like that's just not that's not what we're seeing in most of these cases and then when you have these situations like a like with Reddit, like with um, I'm trying to think, like uh, like like the situation with um, uh, Ellen Powell, where it's like the situation with Ellen Powell happens, and this whole like uh, just I guess for context for people, um, she, did she become the the CEO? Is it 2014 or 15, something like that? Uh, something like that, 15, I think. So she became 14, like she was 15, a new CEO yeah. of Reddit, and like around the time that she came in there were like new policies being implemented about like anti-harassment and all that. And that became like a whole new like firebreed conversation on Reddit where you have people taking sides like, ah, this is a suppression of free speech. And then people being like, ah, this is like the thing that Reddit has needed for so long and everybody's clashing. But all I'm saying is like she at the helm of that in that moment in time becomes like the, the face of this whole thing. And that's the problem with all these issues is that like certain moments and certain parts of time, it's like we all look to the figurehead, like the person or the the media outlet or whatever it is that's right in the middle, like right in our crosshairs of while all this outrage and and uh, like these free speech wars are going on. And then it really like diverts, I think, our ability to have like a good conversation over like what's actually happening. Like how can we actually prevent these things in the future? Like how can we put these structures in place on these websites to help curb this harassment, help curb some of these problems, whether it's over moderation, under moderation, whatever it might be. But that's just not, that's not sexy to talk about. Like everybody wants to talk about the, the, the big bad person in the media or the person that they're worshiping in the media, and then we just never, it's like we're just spinning our wheels culturally. Yeah, no, I mean, we can only <laughs> sort of think about problems at a, at a, you know, on, on a human scale, but uh, these problems are, are beyond a human scale, um, you know, in, in, in large part, not that individuals don't have, you know, responsibilities and, and you know, the, the, the need to lead and make tough decisions, but like, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to, um, think about the entire systems that go into, um, you know, any one of these moments and all of the, all of the things leading up to it, um, because they're happening so fast. And so, you know, beyond our ability to, to sort of uh, process, even, even though that doesn't, you know, get anyone off the hook for, for trying to. Right. Are you into like mindfulness or meditation or anything? 
I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, sort of. I mean, so, so, uh, so here's a, a, something I think about a lot. Like, uh, in, you just in, seem very measured. You just seem like you, you think you. about this a lot and it's interesting again from the outside looking in because someone like myself before knowing you and talking to you, it's easy to paint a picture and be like, okay, this, the people that work in this field or do this type of job, they must be this type of way, but you feel like you're almost outside of the system or outside of the cycle while still like being like looking in at it almost. That's how you talk at least. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the way I've always felt. And, and just, you know, in terms whether it's Reddit, you know, when I was, you know, working there before or not, or even, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, more, more introverted and, and, uh, uh, you know, more of a, a, a wallflower and, and just sort of observer in, in that sense. But I and I just find you know I find human beings so endlessly fascinating and and you know uh, beautiful for the most part uh, with uh, so like I, you know that's why I love all the different you know sub communities and why I love you know independent films and foreign films and all that great stuff. But um, I don't know I I, I just I don't know I, I always try to think about um, I don't know as, as much as as much as I can uh, you know think about okay what is the what are the different levers or, or buttons or things that, that give us leverage over, over improving these spaces and to think about those, not that I feel like I do that, uh, you know, particularly well, but like for anyone to think about those, you have to like step back and, right. and, and think about like, okay, how did we get to this point? And no matter, you know, you have to think about like, I don't like being in this, or the way I always thought about it, like, I don't like being in this position of having to decide, you know, uh, on a tough decision. So you're like, okay, how could I make it so, not in a way to like, you know, basically how could I make it so that it doesn't depend on any one person making the right call every Mm -hmm. time? Not that you want to sort of design a system or figure out ways to, remove the responsibility of people in, in any sort of, uh, you know, leadership position, but like, you know, how do you prevent things from getting to the point where one person or a small group of people has to make those type of decisions? Right. Um, and yeah, and I think that's impossible in many ways, but like, I, I think that's where, you know, improve that, that's where improvements lie. And yeah. And, and yeah, like I said, a lot of that I think has to do with scale and speed and these things that, you know, are just really hard for us human beings to deal with. Yeah. And it's interesting too, just thinking like leaning back on my own personal experience. Um, I mean, I've, I've kind of surfed the, the ideological spectrum over the past 10 years. I mean, I was personally, I was raised in a pretty conservative Christian family and, I kind of rejected that in my teen years and got into anarchy. And then once I got like a, I had like a mental breakdown in my young adult years and then came out of that and was like, oh, like maybe I should. Oh, oh, sorry. Before that, I was like, I rejected religion and all that. So I kind of like bailed on it. And then after my mental breakdown, I went back to it and then kind of became more like libertarian, loose, conservative, Christian type thing. And then left it again and became more progressive in it. And then kind of got stuck in like a neoliberal sphere and then leaned hard left into following a lot of like the leftist publications like Chapo Trap House and uh, Current Affairs and all that. And then I kind of veered a little 
further to the right again from there. Like, not, like, right, right, but just, like, a little bit right of that far sure. left, you know? And, like, and all this is over the course of years and years, right? So, I mean, like, while this was happening for me, and I'm just kind of, like, like, so much of my sourcing for this, these parts of my worldview are coming from what I indulge online. So, like, I, obviously, yeah. I'm having conversations with friends in real life, and I'm meeting people, and, you know, life itself is shaping me like it does to everybody, but a lot of the, the biggest uh, shaping factors come from places like Reddit or places like Twitter or places where, you know, I'm spending ample amounts of my time following certain individuals and following their careers, reading their books or their articles or whatever. And I found myself in so many instances over those uh, different periods where, you know, I might be one night or one week just so, like, neck deep in a certain subreddit about politics and just reading everything, going through all the comments and all the posts and just, like, kind of formatting them in my mind. Like, sometimes I would copy and paste ones that I really liked or agreed with into, like, a document, and I'd kind of reword it and figure out how it fit my worldview. And, I'm, and I'd do this forever, right? And then I'd, eventually I'd come out the other side from it and be like, what, would the, what the hell was I doing? Like, I was just so deeply, like, tied into this one really, really like minute uh specific community and all their viewpoints and it's like i think that's how a lot of people just navigate the world at this point on social media like we just kind of get caught in our own little bubble where it's like okay we're following x amount of people x amount of subreddits x amount of news publications and we we love these people and we trust them and they they feed into what we already think and then all that does on a daily basis is just feed those uh those trigger mechanisms cognitively where it's like oh i like it's like you're getting it's like candy it's like oh i like all these feelings because it just reinforces what i think and i think to to the point of what you've been saying like kind of like having to be forced to be on the outside looking in like you come from a very unique position because your job was literally overseeing a lot of these online communities and i'm sure that's forced you to to observe a lot of different perspectives. So, like, over the years of you doing this, like, how how has it personally shaped you, and how have um, how have you come out the other side as a person uh, from observing all these people in their little niche communities? I mean, I think I was probably, you know, uh, disposed to, to, to sort of be this way uh, in general, but, like, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know. Like, I, I've always been someone who... You know, even with with friends and and you know people I know, has been able to you know maybe to a fault to sort of see things from someone else's or see someone else's perspective in, in a sincere mm-hmm. way, um, or appreciate you know someone's point of view. Um, and uh, a great thing if you can if you're sort of able to navigate it and able you know, just to have the, uh, you know, just to have the, um, I don't know, uh, you know, s- some level of fluency with how these, you know, chaotic internet worlds work, you know, you, you can sort of see things through someone else's eyes in a way that was just a lot harder, you know, whatever, 10, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right, right. You can, and, and, and that, that idea of like going down the rabbit hole, you know, I, I guess all, you know, all, all, all the, all the, the, all the normal things that, that make that, 
I don't know, difficult or provide friction there, you know, have been broken for me for having to do this professionally so that I can almost like, and, and I, I don't know, and I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade this, um, but like I can kind of dive in and, you know, whether it's something serious or something fun, like I can kind of, you know, poke around in a community and sort of see, you know, as close as one can, you know, by staring at a screen for a few minutes, but like, at least for me, it feels like I can kind of get a glimpse of what things look like from from their point of view. And I don't know. I mean, in general, I think that's that's one of the great, uh, you know, that is one of the positives that having all of these communities, you know, overlapping and connected and 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 discoverable online provides us. Um, you know, th- there's obviously you know people's viewpoints that I would not like to be able to see through uh, or wish you know were harder to sort of see the world from their perspective. But um, right. I don't know. I, I, you know, again, one of my favorite things on, on Reddit would be if there's a big news article, you know, there's a, a other discussions or related discussions tab. And you can see that what are the comments on that same article across, you know, tens or hundreds of subreddits and right. see, you know, okay, how's this community reacting? How's this community reacting? And yeah, you can try those things on. Um, and I think especially, you know, had that been around when I was younger, it would have been a lot more, uh, you know, sort of intoxicating to, to sort of explore some of those different ideologies. I mean, now I can sort of, I don't know, I can do it without, without, uh, you know, without losing too yeah, much of my own perspective. You're settled but into like, your identity a bit more. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I just think that's amazing. And, and, and but you have to have that. I don't know. People would always say, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, you can't trust anything on Reddit or you can't trust or can't trust, it's like, you can't trust any, you can't trust any one or even two or three points of data, period, especially <laughs> on the internet. Like, you need to be able to, you know, to form a picture of something, you need to be able to see it from, you know, multiple different data points and sources and all that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, even if that's true, like, that's a, that's a lot to ask. And, you know, not everyone has the, the luxury of, of taking that time or, or being expected to do that. Um, and not everyone has the sort of, I don't know, has spent the hours and hours and reps uh, dealing with the Internet to be able to sort of make those judgments and say, like, oh, this kind of looks like I'm not going to totally trust it, but this looks somewhat more reliable, and then I'm going to add it to this thing and this thing, or this kind of something about this is wrong, so I'm going to be a little more skeptical. And, yeah. You know, kind of forming those pictures, like, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've had the luxury of being able to, to do that to some degree, but, um, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, that is the issue, because it's like you have both sides of the spectrum, then. You have, you have the people that they go down these rabbit holes, and they kind of like work their way through the algorithms and the suggested tabs and all that and it leads sometimes it leads them especially like kids like young kids that are really Uh, impressionable it can lead them down this just terrible ideological path nowadays because there are so many of these kind of like gateway channels and even just like it's weird how even just saying that is controversial like i don't i don't understand why because i feel like i can say it honestly like from where my views stand right right now I understand where the gateways are to it because I went through them. So it's like I don't get why certain people get really. I guess I know. I, I guess I do get it. I mean, like obviously, there's a lot of like bad associations people create today. Like if you're on the right, your bad associations are on the left are like 
I don't know, like Antifa and communism and all that. And then if you're on the left, your bad associations are like the alt-right and fascists and neo-Nazis. So like you have your, your kind of like your, your situation on, on the opposing end of the aisle that you, you know is a bad news from where you're standing if someone kind of were to, to creep down that hole and wind up in a bad place. But it's also, it's tricky because like it's just true. I mean, like it's the fact is that we live... Like, like we've been saying, like in a time where there are so many options of content and it's, yeah. it's we're inundated, like it's literally everywhere and everyone is getting their content from these shared sources. So it's weird how sometimes you can listen to a, uh, it might be someone who's like, um, like a libertarian or maybe like an alt-light type of character and they're saying talking points that originated from like a neo-Nazi kind of group. And it's hard to gauge because you don't know... Did they know that? Like, did they know that that right. talking point originated there intentionally? Or did they just kind of pick it up from another affiliate of theirs who got it from somewhere else that got it from somewhere else? And it just kind of information just has this really weird way of trickling down. And I think because, again, our hyper sensitivity and our hyper focusing on all these issues, it becomes extra toxic to even kind of figure out, like, where people should go in terms of their information and what are the best channels and the worst channels because everyone has very very strong opinions like there's people on the left who would say like uh, i'm trying to think like there's people on the left that would say a certain liberal journalists are like gateways to the alt-right like a lot of people on the left would say like bill maher is a gateway to the alt-right but if you're on the right and you're looking at Bill Maher, you're like, oh, well, he's a leftist. So, like, it's hard to even gauge, like, your, our perspectives because everyone is so tightly tied in to their specific niche online community that our entire ability to gauge the, the broader political spectrum, it just gets harder and harder. Because, like, you, you kind of hinted at this earlier um, when you were mentioning how, like, <laughs> you can go into all these, like, hundreds and hundreds of different really niche uh, political subs. Like, if you're going into, like, leftism, there's ones for, like, Maoism and anarcho-communism sure. and anarcho-syndicalism, and there's all these different, like, just niche communities. And I think it's, it's, like you said, I mean, it's a really great thing if you're able to be an observer from the outside and you're kind of just, like, piecing together your worldview and trying to, to, to see the world through someone else's eyes, that type of thing. But I definitely think it's troubling for the broader public at this point in history because we are at a point where kids are they have access to the internet at like age eight you know and like they're kind of just surfing the web and figuring things out and they're ending up on a lot of these really poor and racist and just bad channels that are um get feeding them information and then that becomes this like intrinsic part of the psychological worldview at that really really young developmental age and like that that is like the to me like when i think about like the way internet culture is developing like forget about people like me and you like we're kind of we're past the mark like we're old people right. at this point like it's crazy to think the kids today that are growing up on reddit or youtube or wherever and like how like i guess here i, I just ranted about all that so like let me frame it this way to you and you can throw on any thoughts at the end here but also i'd love to get your thoughts on just how do you do you see any solutions insofar as kind of curbing a lot of these more dangerous or just bad 
ideologies insofar as like how kids are able to just access or do you think it's all because we've already kind of like built this entire thing on free speech open platforms you know everything's out there do you think it's kind of just like cats out of the bag what what can we possibly do uh yeah so i mean yeah in general i mean it's it's i don't know i mean i for myself like i can appreciate both that like oh yeah i love being able to see this particular you know incident or thing in the news through you know all these different perspectives but also realize like i don't think that would be healthy for me if i was 16 or exactly. 14 or whatever yeah. um but you know i just you know, I, I, I can handle it better, you know, maybe not even all that well now. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think in, and, you know, being able, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the cat is out of the bag in, in, in the sense that, you know, the, the, you know, kids, younger generations, like they have to get more, they have to be able to, analyze and think about and be super literate about these different, you know, layers of, of, of content and, you know, the perspectives and, and all of those things and, and, and these, these platforms themselves and the way uh, they, they encourage certain behaviors and, I don't know, and, and, and just the, the you know, the, the potential appeal of, of the more extreme views and, and you know, the ability to, to seek out, you know, nuance and, and things like that, uh, just through, through experience and education and, you know, uh, from, from both, you know, their, their, their circle of people and also, you know, people in the media. And, and um, so I think like that has to be where um, uh, a lot of energy is. And, and I think the, you know, I don't know, I think the platforms certainly have a responsibility um, as well, I, I don't know on a you know individual decision by decision what that what that should look like. But yeah. uh, you know, I think again, they're they're um, you know, I think the defaults matter a lot. Uh, whatever the defaults are, and you know, if you're a user and you really want to find something, um, then you know, the, the, there's there's some stuff that that's. That's okay if it's sought out, and then there's other stuff that you know uh, is not appropriate for just being uh, you know casually exposed to when you're not when you're not realizing you're seeking out something or you're not realizing what you're looking at is extreme or or what you're looking at is uh, even you know controversial or debunked or whatever. So that the context, um, but yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, Again, I'm glad I'm not making those type of decisions anymore <laughs> in a professional yeah, sense. You. Like, I mean, I saw, I saw, I saw Pinterest, you know, sort of changed the the results when you search for, I don't know, stuff related to, to anti-vax and things like that. And I was like, good, that's great. Like, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. But you know, also like, man, I would not be, you know, having to make that. I would not want to have to make that decision. Or I, I, I don't know. Like, is. I mean, I guess someone has to make that decision, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's better that, that Pinterest does than than you know the government or than the companies that are providing the internet or the self. You know, I, again, like this is all so um, new and powerful. These these you know communication channels that um, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, tough decisions about 
not just on an individual basis, do we allow, you know, this type of content or that type of content, but like, how do we let people organize? How do we, you know, who do we let have a platform? Right. Um, what, what reach do we let, you know, just one person with a, with a, you know, cell phone or a YouTube channel, what reach do we let them have? Like who gets to make those decisions? These are all super complicated. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I do work with, um, you know, in, in, in the past few years, I've worked a lot with sort of the younger, you know, Gen Z and the younger kids. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of them have grown up with social media. And, man, am I, I'm really glad I didn't grow up with it. I, yeah. Um, but, but, like, I, I think they, I don't know. I, I, I am as, as, as depressing and, and bleak as some of these things uh Look, like I, I do think they're able, in general, and and um, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't uh, you know huge steps to make. But like I, I am encouraged by how they're able to see things, you know, see you know media in, in a layered way. Yeah, I mean, people are resilient. Um, and, you know, it's like, yeah, especially yeah, people kids. are resilient. Kids are resilient. Um, they're also susceptible, and all, but I mean, I, I you know, I think they have a. a uh, you know, having grown up with the internet, they, they do, um, you know, they're exposed to a lot more, but I think as they, you know, especially as they get more experienced and, and, and older, they're, they're able to, you know, navigate and make sense of all these different points of data and worldviews and stuff in a way that it is, would be hard, um, without, without experiencing that, uh, you know, at, at a, a uh, younger age right yeah like they're having to evolve in a way that human beings have never had to evolve like whereas people like you or i we how we grew up with the internet it was during the we, we caught the wave so we were growing while it was growing and we could develop alongside of it whereas now they're growing just already immersed in it from that age and it's like yeah, yeah i mean i do think I, I do try to keep a positive outlook, but I, I feel similar to you in the sense that it feels very bleak looking into the future yeah. just because, again, like you keep saying, it's all so new. And we don't have the data. We don't have the resources. We don't have the proven tests to show, like, this is what we can do to curb these problems. Like, everything is so trial and error. And just especially yeah. just, just on, like, a mass level. I mean, like, forget the micro... I guess they're not micro examples, but in comparison, like yeah, forget forget, sure. forget the micro examples of like a Reddit or a Twitter or a specific person or publication. Like just the entire open source internet as it stands right now, it is so problematic for anyone, not just impressionable kids, but especially elderly people that are just like you know like they're already like they've they've lived an entire life like forming an identity, and now they have an opportunity to just search these things and these these uh these sites and these algorithms that push their views further in one direction or another because they don't have the the cognitive tool set to really to, like get them to think about where this is coming from like they're just taking it in like we we all know like the one the one uh subreddit it's called like forwarded from grandma i think or something like that and like we right. i i have a grandmother and a and a grandfather that are both do that type of thing where I get these forwarded emails from this like just junk blogger type person and it's like it's a site that it's it's some guy's site and he has it set up like it's a historical site but there's no citations and the entire thing is just propaganda and I get these emails and they're just reading it like oh this is history yeah and like I get these things and it's like man like it just it just sucks because there's no way 
to explain this to them in a way that they're going to be like, oh, okay, I'll stop doing that. And I think doing like helping kids to learn that is also incredibly difficult because even the tools and the resources that we do have, like I know there's certain websites like, like uh, Snopes or politifact or whatever but even those sites have biases because they're run by human beings and human beings that it's sort of like wikipedia like you know like a lot of times it might be what like eight nine times out of ten it's fairly accurate but you're going to get those times where someone's inserting their biases into whatever the answer might be and it's like it just sucks because there's no like like to to your point like this this isn't it's not just that it's new. It's like for it's one thing for people like you or I to talk about it from like a tech or a, or a social media culture perspective. It's another thing to consider the fact that it's like this isn't understood at any level of the education system at all. So it's like if right. the families don't know it and the people like you or I are still trying to figure it out and the schools definitely don't know it, it's like what are we expecting to happen with these kids? And it just it sucks because then it's you keep saying like i'm i'm glad that i'm not uh in the position to have to do this and i i think that's that's how i would feel too because it's it's uh i it's easy from the outside looking in like i want to be like pegging you with questions to be like why isn't reddit doing this why isn't reddit doing that but to the point of all of this i mean it's like reddit it sucks that reddit has or twitter or facebook or youtube or any of these platforms have to be in the position in the first place to be making these calls because like you said, it's it's most likely that the government will definitely not be able to make better calls in these situations. So it's like, what what is the outcome? Like, what's the solution? Like, do we like if you nationalize these social media companies, then all of a sudden you're just inserting a bunch of political people who are already detached from this part of culture. And if you don't do it, then it is just continually being forced upon these private institutions that are doing this in a lot of ways to cultivate community and information and all that but it's through this limited lens where you know like reddit didn't set out to solve the world's problems reddit set out to be a hub of community and information for people so then it's like where does the responsibility fall you know what i mean (laughs) yeah no it's hard and i mean i uh yeah so uh uh, talking about uh, you know the older generation like i um after I left Reddit, I started this sort of project with a, with a friend called Assholes on Demand. I was going to ask if you were um, still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. So anyway, Assholes on Demand, like, it basically wanted to be a resource for people, not just not just older adults, but you know anyone who was having trouble sort of dealing with you know big corporate entities like a you know like a big bank or uh, a cable company or airline. Um, you know, and, and just one small part of this larger conversation is like, you know, you or I, if we are having trouble getting a good answer or have a, have a you know, a, a, a mysterious charge on our credit card um, or, you know, something is wrong with our cable bill, like we can Google around and look on message boards and, and whatever, right. figure or go on Twitter and, and you know, uh, and at them uh, and, and sort of get an, get an answer. But you know, people who are not as sort of fluent in the internet, like, you know, they, they just don't have that, um, you know, the, it's just much harder. They don't have that resourcefulness. So yeah. what we wanted to do was match up people who could do that on behalf of others, you know, older adults and, and uh, you know, maybe people who are new to the country or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, that was something too, where it's like, I, 
you know, actually one of the reasons why, I mean, it's still up and people can still uh, ask if they need help and, 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 you know, we'll try to, we'll try to help them. But, um, you know, sort of one of the reasons why it sort of lost momentum was because a lot of the problems were too easy. Mm. So I had all these, you know, I had a bunch of volunteers who wanted to help people solve the really, the really complicated, you know, they had an experience with a, a Home Depot or a Volkswagen or whoever, and they had to figure out how to get, you know, an answer, or how to get their problem resolved with this big, you know, corporate bureaucracy. Um, and they wanted to help someone else do that. But the problems people were coming in with were, you know, much simpler. Yeah, people would um, figure it out in like five minutes type of thing. Yeah, and, and most of them, you know, it was very simple and it was just like, you know, okay, A, tell them you're going to uh, you're gonna initiate a charge back on your credit card because that's like a magic word that, you know, gets you bumped up to the, you know, slightly more the customer service person with a little more agency uh, who can actually, you know, sort of, you know, help you figure out whatever is going on. But, um, and, and it just really, you know, made me realize like how overwhelming and frustrating just, you know, doing a simple Google search around, you know, something like how do I dispute a charge with my bank or cable company is, yeah. um, especially for people who don't spend, you know, who aren't, you know, clinically addicted to the internet, like, uh, <laughs> like the two of us probably are. Um, it's, it's hard. So Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool endeavor. When I saw that you were doing that, I was like, that's like, it's just a great, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a brand guy. So I looked at that, like, that is some cool branding that, that he came up with. Really cool. I know. It was, uh, yeah, it was funny. All, all, anybody that had a concern about the name and, and saying asshole, it was never the, you know, it was never the older adults or the people that we were trying to help. It was always like, oh, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never my father or my you know mother-in-law or next door neighbors having a problem and i'm hoping you can help but like ah, they may not be okay with the name but then we would actually talk to the that person they were always like ah, i love the name like yeah i want to <laughs> i want to i want an asshole on my side of for course once, you know like so i don't know it's a yeah it's, it's, it's that's a good, great good name but uh yeah it's hard if you don't if you don't speak internet it, it's hard to it's hard to make sense of stuff if you do but if you don't like oof. Yeah, it's especially hard. I mean, just like culturally today, I mean, more than ever, I mean, the obvious d- dividing lines we have culturally are like, oh, now we, we, we hyper-focus on areas like race and gender and class and, and all that. But I mean, one of the biggest ones that people don't talk that much about is the age uh, div- division we have where it's, and I mean, obviously we're speaking in just generalities, like it's not like, sure. it's not like all old people aren't tech, or aren't tech savvy or whatever, but Definitely, like from a probability standpoint, most are much more detached from all this, and they kind of just in a lot of ways. I mean, it's really it's always been, I think, for thousands of years or whatever. It's been an unfortunate part of civilization that like older people tend to be forgotten in communities, and you know, like at least in a lot of older older societies or civilizations, there was always at least the village elder perspective, where it's like there was kind of like it was a smaller group so you had a lot more of an intimate connection but again today with everything just being as integrated and just inundated as it is it's like a lot of the older generations have just been left at the wayside while younger people are just so sucked into the online world and then yeah like i i remember just a couple years ago when i was setting up 
uh, me and my dad were setting up like a an old. <laughs> we bought we bought my dad's dad an old MacBook that was just like mm-hmm. basic functions, you know, like it was nothing fancy at all. But it was all that she needed. Like she just wanted it for like you know, play like solitaire and you know, like email or whatever. And yeah, it's just like like talking to those older generations about tech. It's always it's interesting, and I wish personally, like I I thought more about it when it comes to people because yeah it's just it's easy to forget and easy to just like not think about that gap and how it's affecting culture because like yeah we just don't we just don't consider it yeah totally i mean i mean ageism is is very real and 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 prevalent and you know throughout our our culture and you know uh uh you know with our you know sort of fixation on youth and stuff and then i think with technology you know i don't know i mean the the I, i think there's also this thing that goes on where you know if you're if you're an older adult, you you know you, there's this stigma you have to deal with, and this sort of fear of feeling or or you know feeling left behind or feeling like you're not able to use something mm. that like compounds the problem. Yeah. Uh, because again, as we've talked about, like you know even you and I have trouble understanding and navigating things and. You know, uh, if if I'm, uh, you know, even something like Facebook that billions of people around the world are using, you know, when you and I started using it, it was pretty simple. Like, there weren't that many things you could do, right. and it wasn't that complex. But over the years, you know, it added all these layers onto it or, um, you know, and, and, and so, like, all this complexity gets added over time. And even if you used technology in the workplace or you're a little bit older, like, you know, uh, but you're not using it every day or as frequently, even if you can, you know, you come back, you have this, you know, you have this like fear hanging over that you're not going to be able to get it or you're, you're not going to be able, you're not going to be a tech savvy or, or whatever. Um, you know, plus you haven't been able to sort of gradually learn all these things that the, in the same sort of trial and error way the rest of yeah. us have. And it just makes it really frustrating and really, you know, really, um, you know, you feel othered and you feel like you're, you know, this is not for you. Uh, and I think it's, yeah, it's super frustrating to see. And then, I don't know, I think for, you know, uh, younger generations, like it's, it's also like, and I don't know, I imagine this, you know, is it, not necessarily a, a modern phenomenon, but, you know, I imagine technology and new things are one of the ways we sort of, um, you know, where we start to see the sort of, you know, we start to see how our, you know, these, these, this, you know, elders or our parents or whatever, older people we, you know, respected and, and looked up to and thought had all the answers. It's one of the areas where we first start to see like, oh, they don't know everything. Mm. Um, and it becomes this way of sort of like, it becomes this, um, you know, wedge where we can think about like, oh, they don't, you know, it's a, they don't get it or they, you know, we can do this. We understand this better. Yeah, and we can kind of like, like replace first, our parents with our technology. Yeah. It's this, it's this first sort of, it's this first sort of wedge where you can be like, I actually know how to do this better than you do. Um, and it, you know, and I just think that's, I don't know. It, it's really a, a loaded thing when you're talking about, um, you know, your own parents or, or older, older generation or whatever. Uh, and so technology just I, I, for our times. And I imagine, you know, uh, previously as well, is like, it's this first, 
sort of thing that separates us. Um, you know, not 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 just because there might be a, a real proficiency difference on in some areas, but also just because it's it's the first thing that we the, we can really use as as a way to uh, to sort of you know protect ourselves and say like, hey, you don't you I, I'm realizing you no longer have all the answers. Right. Yeah. And like too, it's it's interesting how obviously well before all this technology there was always it's always been the case that kids they they're rebellious and they kind of they're snarky and they they're bratty and they we when kids are going through their adolescence they're 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 developing an ego like they're figuring out who they are and they're they're testing the waters and all that and in the course of doing that obviously the the parents and the grandparents like it's their duty to demonstrate you know patience and show like teach them virtues or whatever the the cultural attitudes might be and it sucks how with social media and internet culture that that like you're saying that wedge it just expands so drastically because now like it's it's one thing to have a bratty kid who thinks they're a know-it-all like i was definitely that kid growing up yeah and Thinking back, like I'm sure there were so many moments where my parents were like, "What a moron! Like he thinks he knows everything. Like he's just saying all this dumb shit." And like I'm sure, like obviously, parents still think that it's still the case, but it's a lot more difficult to bridge that gap when you have kids who are literally like I've been around family members, really young, like cousins and whatnot, where they just they're sitting there. It's like Google is their best friend. So it's like if a conversation is going a certain way, they just quick jump on Google. To like, you know what I mean? Like, kind of get their little like snippet of savviness to insert into the conversation, and it's like that. I think in an ultimate like bottom line sense, that's obviously good. Like, we want to spread information and we want access to education in that way. But especially in those developmental years when you're developing an ego, it's like I think we we're at this stage in culture we're really teetering on the situation where we're um we're trading the idea of wisdom and knowledge for information like even just podcasts like i i listen to i've been listening to podcasts since they started pretty much like since 2011 at least until since they became like a thing and i've I've easily listened to at least at least a thousand probably probably more than a thousand over the course of the past eight years and you know thinking back at all that it's like I don't remember 99% of the information that I gained from any of those podcasts. Like, obviously, they became part of my worldview, and I learned, and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, to think about, like, how we treat information nowadays, especially kids, like, we treat it like it's a, like it's a currency. Like, if a kid knows the statistics on, you know, like, poverty in America, or they know the date that like this happened off the top of their head like it's we use it as a tool to be like this is like me being smart this is me being right and like obviously there is a a value judgment like there's a value there's a value set to to knowing these things but i think we're in this really bizarre situation where i think we're really we're trading that that understanding of wisdom and how like you grow with the years and how your ability to retain information and let go of information and have life experiences and fail and succeed and all of that like that's all part of what it means to actually mature and grow up and create 
you know, like a, a worldview and an understanding of how everything works. But with kids, because they have this instant access, I think it's it puts them in this crappy situation where they're learning in a way where they think that when they Google something and they know the answer that mom and dad were wrong about, that it makes them better and that they can just keep doing this and they don't need quote-unquote wisdom or quote-unquote like knowledge from their grandparents or their parents because they can just get it on their phone yeah yeah i mean yeah it's it's not teaching them or i don't know it's harder to learn that ability to sort of uh you know sort of dance and and go throughout the world you know not knowing um or or dealing with complex complexity uncertainty and new information uncertainty yeah yeah i think um we oh man, I just realized what time it was. We've been going, <laughs> we've been going forever. Okay, well I'll, we can we can wind it down. I don't want to take too much more of your time. You've been super generous with. It. I really appreciate you uh, hanging in there throughout all this. But I did want to ask just a couple more questions if yeah if you're, if you're down yeah. with it. So I mean like yeah. just kind of going back. We ended up we ended up spending the bulk of the conversation about Reddit and internet culture. I was hoping to get into some other areas. But, I mean this is like obviously where you and I spend most of our time or have spent most of our time anyway. So, I mean, kind of just going back to a lot of what we've been talking about, I mean, I, I did want to make sure I, I asked you this because this is something that always fascinates me with people in any area of expertise. Like, obviously, you've mo- you left Reddit in, I think, 2014, right? Yes. So, I mean, like, since then, obviously, you've done, that's five years ago, like, you've done a whole lot of work and you've moved on and you're you're you're, you know, developing far past that point of your life, but... Obviously, what you did with Reddit and during that period of time was so not just life defining, but like identity defining. So, like, since it's such a huge part of who you are now, even years later after you left, I mean, like, what's it like carrying that? Like, do you feel, is it weird for you, like, kind of being known as like, oh, like when someone Googles me or whatever, I'm getting like, oh, it's like this Reddit guy. You know what I mean? Like, is it a, is it strange for you to carry that or is it just kind of like a cool, thing that you're like oh it's just something cool that i did and you don't really think that much about it uh no it's definitely weird it's definitely strange like i i don't know and i i guess um yeah i've gotten just in general i've gotten like more comfortable with not uh thinking about myself in terms of like what my job is at any Mm. given time that's important um and yeah and like in a way that you know especially when i was at reddit i mean they were you know it was like all night, all day, like, you know, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't actually sleep very much and was just, you know, it was constant 24-7, sometimes out of necessity and sometimes out of, I don't know, like, you know, almost addiction, like, yeah. but, but, uh, so I've definitely, you know, been able to separate that a little bit, but yeah, it it is kind of weird and, I mean, it's also, like, I don't know, in some ways it's really cool to, especially on Reddit, um, occasionally when I, you know, and I don't, I'm not super active on there, but occasionally when I interact or when I have a conversation about Reddit, it's, I don't know, just for me, it's really cool if I can have a conversation with someone about Reddit and like, it doesn't come up that I worked there for a while. Oh, I love that. Like that's real, or, or like that I have a conversation with somebody and, you know, on Reddit or I ask them something or I say something and like, you know, especially like while I was there and after I left, like, you know, people were like, uh, or, I don't know. But like now, like no one knows who I am, like, uh, you know, on, on Reddit or off. Like, so it's really cool sometimes to just, I don't know. I mean, like I, I know, and you know, I, you know, have a lot of like amazing memories and stuff of what, what, 
uh, things I was able to be a part of, but it, like it's just cool to see like, oh yeah, the uh, <laughs> the you know this 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 thing has has moved moved beyond beyond uh, you know my my association with it. Like I don't know, it's, it's kind of cool. That's sweet. Yeah, I mean, like it's interesting. I, it's always a fascinating question to me, just because I think the most uh, frustrating or I guess annoying part of internet culture to me in general is just how like we all we all project somewhat of an image. I mean, like whether it's sure. like just like in our case is like what we, you just spoke there. I mean, how your job became like your identity for a long period of time where it's just like night and day. And then that obviously becomes the thing that you're talking about and posting about people know you as. And I think we all do this to an extent. I mean, like I do it on my Twitter specifically. I mean, like I'm a social media guy now. So like, most of what right. my audience like expects, I guess, like the people are following my account, they're expecting me to talk social media. Like if I if I kind of like veer into politics or some other area, it's just it's not like it's bad necessarily. It just doesn't really get the same uh, attention, you know. So like we, we're kind of all like feeding some kind of click currency where it's like okay, like what is our personal brand like what is the stuff that we talk about or that people know us for doing or whatever it might be so like that's that's always annoyed me to an extent because for someone like me just with this this podcast being an example like I don't from when I started doing it I was I just wanted to do it for myself because I like talking to people and hearing new perspectives and I don't really I have a lot of interests so like I didn't want from the get-go to be like just on social media or just on uh, like brands or whatever. Like I wanted to do whatever I wanted with it, but obviously it doesn't always flesh out that way because if I'm doing something like having a guest on with a topic that's completely off base of what people who generally listen, like it's not as interesting. So anyway, this all, it, it just annoys me. I think when like people like, <laughs> like we, we pigeonhole each other in this way where it's like, Oh, well you're the Reddit guy now. And it right. sucks how, like, that has to be the way it is online. But, like, so for me, like, just if, like, this conversation's the first time we've talked and you seem like a cool guy and, like, obviously you've, you're, you're getting me, you're giving me a lot of information on how you think and, and your worldview, like, revolving around all this stuff. But, like, from outside of all this, like, outside of internet culture, outside of whatever else might be, like, a primary thing people know you as doing, like, what... What do you nerd out on? Like, what's like, what's like a thing oh. about you that's like not like as public or posted about that is like that gets you going? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't post. I mean, I occasionally post about it, but I, I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm really fascinated with. I mean, I'm a, I'm a history buff. Like, I, I got really into um, kind of collecting and reading old church cookbooks. Oh, cool. Um, like, uh, <laughs> and, and primarily, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly how I got into it, but then I realized, like, you can buy, like, these great, you know, hundred-year-old, these church recipe cookbooks, you know, for, like, five bucks on eBay. Yeah. And the thing that I find fascinating, there's just such a unique, I don't know, artifact. Um, and what's great is, so, I don't know, roughly about a hundred years ago, People, you know, started using what we think of as like the standard recipe format. You know, two columns of the ingredients and then some instructions down below. Yeah. Um, and before that, you know, roughly people they just wrote a paragraph of text, and so it was really short. And also, since you know, cooking was, I don't know, people were just much more you know skilled um, 
in general and you know have you know so you'll you'll hear people say you know in these old church cookbooks you'll hear people talk about like oh put it in a warm oven until golden brown mm-hmm. and that's it and like <laughs> me I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm a bad cook I'm not a good cook or anything like I'm just like I can't I need a lot more help right. than that um, <laughs> but for a person a person reading that on, yeah I need to watch a video actually I need to actually see someone doing it and I yeah. can stop and rewind and all that but uh I don't know and there's and any of these Books were put together by uh, primarily women in, or almost all women in the in the church community to raise money for the church, which was like you know very central to the community of that town or, or part of the city at the time. Yeah. And they so they collect all these recipes, which is like totally UGC. Um, you know, these aren't really a, you know, and they're not even a, most of them aren't original recipes. I imagine. Yeah. They're they're passed down and slightly tweaked, and they you know. And they, they collect them all in this book, you know, they send it off to a publisher, and then you have ads in the church cookbook from the local bank, the local funeral home, the local feed store, wow. you know, local. But then you also have ads from, you know, the, whatever, a national baking soda company or Crisco or, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a, a flour company where they'll actually, like, print recipes They'll pay to print their recipes with their, you know, featuring their ingredient in the church cookbook. Wow, that's some um, old school advertising. Is, yeah, which is like, you know, <laughs> old school native advertising. And then they all get packaged together and then they sell them to raise money for the church or whatever. And I mean, it's just so, it's so strange too because, you know, back then the really like fa- fancy, expensive ingredients were, you know, canned and processed store-bought ingredients right it's like um, reverse and into the, the... <laughs> yeah it's reverse from today and then also you know also back then like a lot of the recipes will be from you know mrs john smith like at that time you know not that long ago like you know women you know were were you know uh, uh identi- you know forming their identity in this public you know sort of town cookbook with the name of their husband which yeah. is like you know, extremely fucked up, but that's, you know, so you get all these just kind of little glimpses and it's like close and it's similar enough that it's readable, but it's different enough that it's like, wow, I don't know. I, I just, a, it's a, a little, a little thing I've, I've been obsessed with and you know, every once in a while I go on eBay and buy a couple and then, you know, just geek out over them when I get them and like, you know, occasionally I try to attempt a recipe and it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> that <laughs> is weird. so fascinating. <laughs> it's I, so strange. But yeah, occasionally I tweet tweet a recipe from it here and there, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a really fun uh, fun fun little pastime. I love that. I like where I live right outside of Philly. It's a very strongly influenced um like uh, Pennsylvania Dutch Mennonite area. So Oh yeah. So I have my family has a few of those old cookbooks like even just the art like it's just it's so cool like how they were made like in comparison to today where everything's like so highly refined you know it's like really really cool stuff like one last question this is just yeah probably probably something we've we've maybe already covered somewhere along the way i was just thinking about this but um just like if you like when you look at all the stuff we talked about and all the the broader cultural conversations that are going on right now like if you could single out just one issue or area of interest that you wish more people were talking about right now? Like, what would that be? You know, I think ageism and, you know, how we, you know, think about older adults is, I don't know, it's really important, you know, 
the, the demographics trends are really strong. There's going to be, you know, in, in the year 2030, there's going to be more people over 65 than under 18 for the first time mm-hmm. in human history. And that trend is just going to keep going. Um, and, you know, just, you know, culturally, there's this strange thing where the baby boomers, you know, kind of, you know, started this obsession we have with youth culture. And, you know, now, uh, all these decades later, they're sort of dealing with the, the negative side right. of that, which right. is they're, you know, sort of feeling out of the conversation and othered. And and also in terms of the Internet, like, it's inter- and, and technology, it's interesting if you look at surveys, like, the people who were excited about uh, technology and, you know, sort of report the most you know, happiness and benefit from it and excitement about it is the older generation. Um, and I just think there's so many issues. There's such a, a, a need, you know, both in a market sense, but also just in a, I don't know, in, in a more human communication level, there's so many needs that are unmet, um, you know, from older adults. Um, but, you know, in general, as a, as a, you know, sort of tech industry and, uh, you know, we're all chasing, you know, millennials and 18 to 34 year olds and whatever. Um, and so I don't know. I, I just wish, you know, I, I think a lot of the other issues are important, but I just wish more people were focused on that because I think it's just such an important, uh, such important issue. And like we also, as a, you know, as a sort of Gen X person and as, you know, uh, I, I think we have so much to learn too from, from older adults. Um, especially when it comes to technology, um, you know, dealing with new stuff isn't like something that, right. you it's know, not li- new. <laughs> it's not new. We didn't invent <laughs> this either. Like there's been all sorts of, uh, you know, huge disruptive tech, you know, culturally, you know, catalytic technologies that have, you know, changed society and we didn't know how to deal with, like, this isn't new. So like, if, you know, if there are any answers and if there is any wisdom to, to, and perspective to be gained, it's, you know, a good place to start would be people who've dealt with similar things before, which uh, we don't seem to be, uh, as, as inclined to do as as um, we probably should. It's like it's like we all have that knee jerk reaction now because it, it, it's true that the past, specifically like with the internet, the past twenty years, culture has changed in a way that has never happened in history. So you have like a generations of younger people who are looking at this and looking at the older generations, like yeah, you've never experienced anything like this, and I wish there was some kind of bridge divide right there, like what you said, because it's true. And it's also true that changes like this have been happening since the beginning of civilization. And that the fact that it's, I think it works both ways. I know a lot of older, like a uh, boomer uh, generation type yeah. people who are so resentful of the younger generations. And, and they think of it like, you know, like everybody's just entitled and it's just like, sure. you know, like that whole, the whole stereotype of what millennials and, and Gen Z kids are, it's a lot of it is unfortunately perpetuated by media and, and all that. And it's just, it sucks because you do wish there was a way that we could just bridge that divide and be like, okay, yes, like this is a unique period in history. Also, let's look past that and realize that it's, we're still in history and it's still moving. It's not like a static thing. Like, like by the time the Gen Z kids of today 
are in their you know 60s 70s whatever the technology then is going to be so unrelatable and so insane that they're going to be dealing with the exact same issues that they're currently facing with their grandparents so it's like yeah i i definitely i agree and i see that man it's uh, i'm 100 percent guilty and like i said and so far as it's not something that i tackle a lot it's definitely not something i've spent a lot of time thinking through and now like i'm I'm definitely going to do that more because it's it is an important thing that we got to figure out. So yeah, no, no, and it's uh yeah, it's funny to think about what uh you know all of these uh, internet artifacts that are being created today. You know, like those old church cookbooks. Like, what are they going to look like in a hundred <laughs> right. years? You know, like what are people going to be like? Oh, that's so strange. They you know. <laughs> Uh, looking at our ads and just the artifacts from our daily, you know, sort of existence, uh, you know, puts it a little bit of perspective. I literally can't even imagine what it's going to be. Jeez. It's, it's like, I, I, never... <laughs> I feel, I feel bad for them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need like a, uh, I know Reddit has like a, uh, their one sub, they have um, the museum of Reddit. I know, but do yeah. they, they don't yeah. have, is there a sub that's like, like a, pro- a popular sub, at least, that's like an internet museum or something. I can't think off the top of my head if mm. there's one. Because there should be. Like, we should be there, like... There, there probably is. <laughs> yeah, there I, has I don't to know be. of one. But, like, I just, I'll play the numbers and say there probably is. Yeah, I mean, pro- yeah, probability-wise, it's got to be there. But cool, man. Yeah, thanks so much again for doing this. Um, do you have anything you wanted to add or promote or anything you got going on now that you wanted to say? No, man, just, uh, yeah, really enjoyed listening to the podcast and was excited to come on. And, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing the next episode, the next people you bring on. Ah, dude, I, I really, really appreciate, appreciate the time. It's so cool just to be able to, like, hit someone like you up online and be like, hey, you want to talk? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, why does this guy yeah. want to talk to me? But, <laughs> like, it's just such a weird timeline that we get to do this. So, yeah, I'll make sure everybody follow Eric, hit him up for um, Antique Cookbook advice and stock market advice and all of his many specialties so yeah thanks for coming on the podcast dude all right thanks